0: You are listening to an Emanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emanuelcommunity.org. Many years ago we had a program on Wednesday evenings that probably only 20 or 30 of us from the church were involved in. It It broke us down into three groups. There was a group who would stay at the church and study, and they would be preparing to be better witnesses. Then there's a group who would be at the church here, and they'd pray, and they'd pray specifically for the third group, and that was a small group of us, about six of us, who would go out each evening, each Wednesday evening, and we would knock on a door and uh, plan to share our faith. Now, this was not really, in the sense, cold calling. It was people who were part of our church who had family members or friends who they wanted us to go see. So on one particular evening, it turned out there was five of us, and so they said to me, you're going to be by yourself tonight, and you're visiting. Instead of with a group, we usually went in twos, and, uh, and they said, your assignment is this couple. Now, I'd heard of this couple, um, never met them, but I knew that... Uh, and I don't mean this in a negative way, Uh, kind of a rough, maybe redneck kind of a person, very big, I understood. And uh, I said, did they ask about the church? No, but we have people in the church who are friends and they'd like you to go visit them. Now this is before cell phones and texting and all of that kind of thing, so we met here to pray and our group was praying for me as I went out and shared with this couple they were praying for the couple I was praying they wouldn't be home (laughs) I got to the door rang the doorbell and he answered my next thought is there's no way he'll let me in and I said hi I'm and I'm the pastor of your friends church and I explained to him and he goes oh come on in and so I went in and offered me coffee, and we sat and visited for quite some time, just he and his wife and I. Had a very nice conversation. He got up at one point and said, let me show you my gun collection. So he showed me all all these guns that he had and, you know, his trophies, the things that he had shot and so forth. And I had decided at that point that I wasn't going to share my faith tonight. I was just going to get to know them, you know, just, you know, get to know them a little bit, warm it up and really when I was thinking about leaving, he said to me, so, so why are you here? I'm sure you have some agenda to visit our house tonight. And, and I thought, boy, oh boy, this, this is a rough night here. And I, I said, yes, I do. And uh, I said, I thought I'd share some scripture with you. And he goes, oh, okay. And I said, do you have a Bible? Now, I'd learned years before that if you share scripture with someone, if you can always use their Bible. I said, do you have a Bible? And he said, yes, we do. And he went and got this big family Bible. You can picture it. It usually sits on a coffee table or something. And he brought it out and sat it there in front of me. It was King James, unfortunately. And uh, I thought, you know, nothing could be going worse than it is tonight. Uh, And I thought, this will never work with King James. And Him reading, But I opened his Bible, I turned to Romans 3.23 and I said, would you mind reading this verse? And he read it and I said, you know, it says we're all sinners. And I said, are you a sinner? I was a little afraid to ask him, thought he might shoot me. But he said, I'm a sinner and his wife piped in, I'm a sinner too. I said, yeah, me too. And then I turned to Romans 6.23 and I said, you see what it says? Would you read that? And he read it and I said, you see, there's a price to sin. The wages of sin is death, there's a price. And the price is death. And it doesn't really mean physical death, although that's part of it. It's the idea that we're separated from God, and that's the worst thing possible. And I said, read this, and I turned to Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I, I said, see that Jesus paid that price for us, so we don't have to be separated. We don't have to face that kind of death. And then I turned to Romans ten nine and 10, today's passage. And I said, Would you read this? And he began to read, and I thought maybe he had a cold. He started to sniffle. But I looked over, and he was weeping. And he read the verse. I had to actually finish it. And then I explained to him that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And he goes, I want to be how do I do that? And so I said, well, I'll pray and you pray after me. And so I'd pray a line and then he'd pray. And what caught me off guard the first time was he finished and I started the next line, but she started and she wanted to to do this as well. So, so I'd pray and each of them would take in turn, pray that prayer. And afterwards we hugged and they became friends, later moved away from our area, but continued to follow Christ. I walked out of their house tonight thinking, how incapable I am, but how capable my God and his word are. And I was just awed again at what God can do through his word when it comes to the moment and the, and the thought of salvation. Today we come to that passage of scripture, and I'm going to do something different with you today. Today. We're going to start with the application. I always end with it, but today I'd like to start with the application. It's called the Roman Road. It's a plan of salvation that was designed many, many years ago. I had nothing to do with it. I only use it. But I used it that night, and I want to show it to you because I think maybe some of you don't know. If you're having lunch with someone or you're out fishing with someone or whatever it is you do, then someone says, well, how would I become a Christian? You, you don't know what you do. Now, many of you know exactly, and you stay with your plan. But if you don't know, I want to show you this plan. And then we're going to study Romans 10. We're going to do the whole chapter today. It's a lot of material. Hang with me. We're going to get it accomplished. So take your Bibles, your sermon notes, and join me as we dig into Romans chapter 10. Some very heavy but very fascinating material. I'll share one uh, word of announcement. Uh, I know it seems early, but I just wanted you to know ahead of time that uh, over the last number of years, uh, Christmas holidays have been kind of a, you know, interrupted by whether, whether it was COVID or weather or the last couple of years uh, falling on weekends, and we have changed our services. So this year, what we're going to do is we're going to have a regular Saturday night service, December 23rd, and we're going to call it Christmas Eve Eve. And so for those of you who leave Christmas Eve day to go somewhere else with family or whatever, you'll still have the opportunity for the Christmas Eve service one night early. And then on Christmas Eve day, which is a Sunday, we'll have no Sunday morning services. Instead, we'll do a 2.30, a 4, and a 5.30 service. It'll be the same as the Saturday night service. It'll be a worship service combined as a Christmas Eve service And we'll finish our Christmas series that afternoon and evening. And so just wanted to give you a heads up of where we were heading with our holiday services. On uh, December 30 and 31, we'll have regular services, even though that's a holiday uh, weekend as well. We'll have regular services and we'll talk about how to prepare for 2024. So that's our plans for the holidays. Okay, let's dig into God's word. There are two things that we've been sharing with you about this series. Number one is you need to remember that God is extremely merciful. Many people, many people you go to work with, school with, whatever, they will consider him a God who is judgmental and harsh. And by the way, he is a God of justice. But he is a merciful God, and we always want to balance that. Secondly, the salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles is intricately interwoven. It works together, and you're going to see that today and again in the next few weeks as we do Romans chapter 11. Now, I told you we'd do the application first. So for those of you who maybe don't know what you'd say, if someone said to you, how do I become a Christian? I think this is the simplest and easiest plan, particularly if you have a Bible or they have a Bible and you could have them read. You'd start with all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and then you would take them to Romans 6, 23, and that death is the result of sin. That's the price we pay for sin. And we all have to pay that price, except you turn to Romans 5, 8 and say, God did pay that the price through his son, Jesus Christ. And he paid the price, but you have to do one thing. And it's such an easy thing to do, really. Romans 10, 9, 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I'm gonna talk about what that means in a moment, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Isn't it interesting? Paul doesn't say you have to believe he died on a cross or that he ascended into heaven. It's only one thing, that you believe that God raised him from the dead. Why? Because that's the victory. We'll talk about that again in a moment too. If you wanna share those four thoughts it would be a wonderful way to share your faith. Now, you could take the sermon notes and cut it out and put it in your Bible or, or write it down and put it in your purse or your wallet or maybe on your phone or somewhere where it's handy. But this is a wonderful way for you to share your faith. And I hope all of you have a way to do that. By the way, I would also be remiss if I didn't share this. If this morning as I share those four things, if you feel like, I don't know that I've ever really gone through that myself. I don't know that I've confessed or believed in my heart. I'm going to be up here after the service today. I'll stand up here on the side somewhere after the service and feel free to come and talk to me about that. And I would love to share this in more detail if you'd like to hear it. Okay, now we're going to dig into Romans chapter 10 and we're going to do the whole chapter. I'm going to talk fast. I always do anyway, but I'm going to talk faster. Romans 10 verse 1. We deal with the problem. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who Here's that word, believes. Now, just a few thoughts to unpack that first paragraph. The Jewish, nation, the Jewish people as a nation have rejected their Messiah. That's Paul's point. Brothers and sisters, my desire, my prayer is that the Israelites would turn back to God, that they would be saved. But as a nation, they did not. Now, I want to make sure you understand that there are many Jewish people who did individually come to faith in Christ. You may know some. You know that all of the first Christians, basically up until Acts chapter 10, were all Jewish people. But they were the individuals. As a nation, Israel rejected their Messiah. They have the desire to follow God. There's nothing wrong with their zeal. Oh, they want to be godly but they're doing it based on the wrong object. Their object is the law. It's not based on knowledge. Knowledge would be that it's Christ. Think of the Apostle Paul who was out killing Christians because of his religious zeal. That's why he was doing it when God met him on the road to Damascus. You see, once you have the knowledge, you realize you had the zeal, but you never had the right object. They are still trusting in the law instead of trusting in the one who was the culmination of the law. What's that mean? It means all throughout world's history, no one has ever kept the law perfectly until Jesus. And when he came to our planet, he lived among us, And he kept it perfectly, and he was the culmination. Now, you might say, well, he said he wasn't here to destroy the law. No, he didn't destroy it. He just fulfilled it. He completed it for anybody who would trust in him. You can't do that, but he did it for you. You just trust on him. Verse 5, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth, it is in your heart, that is the message concerning faith we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, I'll grant you that that paragraph I just read to you is difficult and you might read it and go, what? Let me unpack in the sense that you need to know this. Paul is writing specifically to Jewish people and quoting their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. He's quoting very commonly known scriptures. Chapter 10 of Romans is not for you if you're a Gentile. It's not for us, for Gentiles. It's for Jewish people, but it's for Gentiles to look in. you ever? Can you remember a time maybe in your life where you had an older sibling who did something shouldn't have done and got in trouble and so forth. And, or, or maybe in schools, you had some close friends who did something You might have done it with them, but you just didn't happen to know about it in time. But now you get to stand back and look in, and you watch them being scolded, and you watch them being punished, and you go, note to self, don't ever do this. That's what Paul's doing here. He says, let me let you Gentiles look in and see what happens when you Do not accept the Messiah. Now, first Old Testament quote he uses, by the way, these uh, Old Testament quotes just just really explain what I just read to you. It refers to the idea that if you trust in the law, you must keep all of it. Here here it is, Leviticus 18. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. It's, It's the point is, if you could obey all of them, that's the person who does these things will live by them. If you live by the law, You got it, but nobody can do that. The second quote, that's in verses 5 and 6. That was the mystical one. As I read it to you, I I imagine, or if you read it for this week, I had several of you comment on reading it for this week and wondering where where we were headed today. And if you don't go back to the Old Testament, you can't figure this out. So here's that mystical part. Let Let me show you. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, That is to bring Christ down. Or or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. And you go, what is that talking about? I agree with you. It's just so puzzling until you turn back to Deuteronomy 30. I think I printed it for you in your notes. Now what I am commanding you, says Moses, is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it so we may obey it. It's not across the sea or as Paul says, in the abyss, so that you have to cross the sea to get it. You don't have to go down into hell, so to speak, to get it. This is not a difficult truth, says Moses. You don't have to go find it yourself. It's right here. That's the point that Paul is making. He's simply quoting Moses. The third quote is the key to salvation by faith. It was true in the time of Moses. It's true today. I'll read it to you in Deuteronomy, verse 14. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. Now that's a key verse in Deuteronomy. And Paul says, let me explain that to you. So in verse 8 of chapter 10, he says, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, which leads us right to Romans ten nine, which we know. Since Moses has said, the answer is in your mouth and in your heart, Paul now clarifies it for the Jews and for us. With your mouth, you confess Jesus is Lord. A lot of people will say, well, Jesus is Savior. Nothing wrong with Savior, but that's not what the Bible says we should perceive. It's not what we should say necessarily. You see, Jesus is Lord. We think of him because we use the cross as a symbol so often and so forth. We think of him as Savior. Let me show you something I think you might find interesting. It's not in your notes. The term Lord is found 578 times in the New Testament and the Savior 24 times. So which one do you think is the key here? If you even turn to the Christmas story, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He came to save you, but he is Christ the Lord. That's who he is. And so that's why we proclaim with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Many of you have been to one of my baptismal services over the many years here. And you probably have noticed that every person I ever baptized, I ask one question right before I put them under the water. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today? And the reason I do that is assuming they've already done it, either through prayer or through sharing with friends or others that Jesus is their Lord, I want them to remember that that's who he is, even as they're baptized. And Paul says, you must believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Sure, he died on a cross to take care of your sins, and he ascended into heaven to be your uh, go-between, between you and the Father, He's, your, he's, he's there interceding for you. But you see, the key to his victory was him rising from the dead. Other people have died. But no one else has ever risen from the dead in this way. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You realize in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In other words, that's the key to his ministry. He rose from the dead, and that was a victory that you take with you if you trust him. This is salvation. Now, I want you to see the word twice. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. So twice that word is used. That's salvation. But what I want you to see is how Paul changes the order. You see, in the Old Testament, Moses had said, you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. And so Paul stayed with that order. Mouth, heart. But now when he explains it, how you do it, how an individual does this, he says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses. So he shares with you the chronological order. First you believe. And once you believe, you confess. Boy, powerful. Now, As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, very short couple verses here. Continuing with Scripture, Paul's still quoting. He proves that salvation is by faith alone. It's not by anything you do. And it's always been God's plan. Some people think in the Old Testament it was law, in the New Testament it's faith. No, no. In the Old Testament it was faith, in the New Testament it's faith. Always been the plan. Isaiah 28, whoever believes will not be in haste or will not be put to shame is the way you could translate that. Paul uses it that way. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. It's always been faith. These promises are for anyone and for everyone. I love how that's stated in the scriptures. Anyone who believes. And down here it says everyone who calls. So anyone and everyone. And I know some of you might be thinking right now, well, just a few months ago or even weeks ago, you talked about election and predestination and how we are chosen and called. And yes, I remember that. And now you say, now you say it's anyone and everyone. Yes, that's correct. And you say to me, how do you justify that? Then I say, I don't have a clue, but I know God does. I know God has that all figured out. And so he makes that work in a way that is beyond my little mind, but anyone and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, he takes a little turn here and says, now I don't wanna to talk to those who need to be saved. I want to talk to those who need to share it. You're already saved, but you need to share it. So he does this little progression. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Catch the keyword? I'm sure you did. Mark them for you. How? It's a word that Paul doesn't use often. One and Once in the previous chapter, once again in the chapter before that, but here he uses it, what, five times in a few, verse, few sentences? What's the point? Can you call on someone you don't believe in? Answer? No. These are rhetorical questions. So if someone doesn't believe they could never call in his name. And, and, and how could they ever believe if they've never heard? Is that possible? No, no. Now, we learned in Romans 1 that if you just look at our world, if you look at creation, you can know there's a God. And you know that this God is creative, and you know that sin is wrong. You know the law inside your heart. But on the other hand, you can't know about Jesus Christ and how to call upon him if you've never heard about it, And thirdly, can you hear without someone telling you or speaking that truth to you? No. No, it's not possible. Now, today, it's not a matter of an individual to an individual. It's more sometimes on the internet or maybe it's on television or radio. Maybe it is you sharing your faith with someone else. But you see, you are key because they have to hear the truth. And then can the preacher or the speaker Tell the good news without being sent by God? Again, the answer, no, absolutely not. Because unless God sends you, there will be no fruit. You have to sense that God is leading you here. By the way, some of you see this and says, can the preacher, and you go, oh, so it's only for the preachers. No, this term here, this idea of preach is to speak. It's for every one of us. If you're a Christian, you're included in this verse 15. You are supposed to be one who shares your faith. And then lastly, blessed are all of those who do share their faith. The uh, Jewish people have a way of saying things that I think is always very interesting. It's, it's more gripping maybe. Maybe. I have a friend in Israel who years ago was involved in something he wishes he wouldn't have been involved in. And one time he, he sat and cried and he his, held his hands out and he says, these hands will never hold a gun again. These hands. You See, we would just say, "I." Jesus said, if you have ears, listen. We would just say, listen. But see, to the Jewish people, it just makes it more powerful. And I think it does. And look at this. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those? Are their feet actually beautiful? No. Nothing to do with her feet. It's the idea that they made the effort to go and share the good news. And by the way, if you're a Christian here today, this is your calling. And that's why I started with the application, the Roman road. You need to know how you would share your faith. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Jesus Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Another quote, as you can tell. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he said, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate people. Now, there's a lot of material there. I'm going to boil it down into just a couple of thoughts and then give you a final thought. Israel as a nation, as I said at the very beginning of the message, did not receive the good news. As a nation, they did not receive the good news. And not because they didn't hear it. Not because they didn't understand it. They did hear it. They did understand it. But they rejected it. And then he says, in fact, there would be a people who are not a nation who would make Israel jealous someday, envious What is that? Let me read that to you. Let me show it to you, in case you didn't catch it when I first read it. First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. Who is that? That's Gentiles. There's lots of nations of Gentiles, but there's not a Gentile nation like there's a Jewish nation. And so, the Gentile people will make you angry. Why? Because... Gentiles have seen it and have understand it, understood it and have turned to, to Jesus Christ as the Messiah the Jews are envious Paul quoted Isaiah again to declare God has been patient Israel refused to come to the table I use that phrase come to the table because most of you remember that Jesus one time taught a parable about a banquet and he says there's this big banquet and I invited everybody to come all the Jewish people but all of them had excuses So then I had to go out into the highways and the byways. That's the term used there. And I had to invite those who were really not part of Israel. And and they came to my banquet. So Jesus told this long before it ever happened. Here's what it says in Romans. But concerning Israel, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. That's patience. Now that's how the chapter ends. And you go, wow. Wow. That's kind of a discouraging end to this. And your next question might be, is that it for Israel? Has he rejected them now forever and ever, amen? Is is it over? Guess what next week's first verse is? You know. I asked them, did God reject his people? Is that what you're thinking? No, 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 no. And Romans 11, one of my favorite We're going to spend three weeks on it together, and we're going to learn how God will bring his people back to the table. It's powerful. But for now, let's celebrate that he has called us to be his children.